Welcome to the Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast, where today we will be listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Brent Russell. You have your Bibles and want to follow along, or your smartphone or tablet. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to focus on the first three verses. We'll eventually get there. And so Ephesians chapter 4. Now, I normally plan what I'm going to speak on months in advance, and I have learned over the years that, that to leave an open Sunday every so often just to be able to speak into the life of the community with different things that I see. Last week, I, I finished a, a series on prayer. Next week is the first Sunday of Advent, and we'll be talking about the Jesus you never knew. Today, I want to speak um, one uh, course correction sermon is what I will call it. Uh, it's called Together in the Spirit. You heard Ephesians chapter 4 read. Let me, let me read those first three verses again. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Do you know why we need to keep, uh, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit? Because it's hard work. I don't remember a time when the Evangelical Church in North America has been so fractured. Last 20 months have highlighted the, the mass, anti-mass crowd. There's the vaccine hesitants and the anti-vaxxers versus the make vaccines mandatory crowd. Some churches respond to uh, the lockdown by defying it. Racism has reared its ugly head. Uh, and uh, politics seems to divide families and people more than ever. I've got to say, I've been very pleased with Asbury's response to all these issues. While we don't think the same on these issues, I have seen a willingness, uh, I've not seen a willingness to break fellowship over these issues, and I'm thankful for that. As you probably know, I'm, I preached uh, in a church in downtown Ottawa for 28 years. I have been in Perth now for just a little over three years. And there are some differences that I've noticed in a city church versus a small town church. In a city church, most of the people get to know each other because they are attending that particular church. In a small town, many people have a lifetime history with a person outside the church. Um, you've known people of Perth, some of you, forever. That's great until something goes wrong. It's all good until someone offends you. In the city, you can move churches. But if something goes sideways in your relationship, usually you don't move towns. So you see people around town, and what do we do? We learn to tolerate them. In the city, one of the, the biggest inhibitors of people's spiritual lives is busyness. Uh, there wasn't any margin in their life to pursue God. In Perth, and it's probably the same with most small towns, I would say that the, the number one inhibitor of spiritual growth is unresolved relational issues. 
Now, for the most part, we're not openly hostile to people, are we? No. Um, uh, we're not openly hostile to the people we, we've been offended by. We're very civil with each other. But we have a way of writing people off. Uh, we stay away from them. We hold them at arm's length. But that's not what Paul means when he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's something. Now here's the problem. When I ask people, when they bring up relational issues, have you forgiven that person? They automatically say yes, because they know that's the right answer. There's dire consequences to not forgiving somebody, right? So when I ask that per person, well, do you love that person? Um, um, um. You see, you can't love someone and be indifferent to them. That's just impossible. Come with me to James chapter 3 for a moment. James chapter 3 verse 2 says this. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Or the authorized King James Version says, For in many things we offend all. If any man offended not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Here's what the Word of God says. We all, that's you, that's me, we all offend. Period. We all stumble in what we say. The Word of God declares that if you hang around me long enough and I hang around you long enough, we're going to offend each other by what we say. Now, there are a lot of you who have been around each other for a long time. And the chances are that at one point or another, you've offended someone. Or you've been offended by someone. That's just the way life works. The question is, when, when you are the one who has been offended, how do you deal with that? How do you work through that? Let me introduce to you the idea of a grace contingency fund. Um, if you're wise in the way that you handle your finances, you have a contingency fund in case something unexpected happens. Your car breaks down, your roof springs a leak, you lose your job, you have to look for another one. You know that life has a way of throw, throwing us unexpected curveballs. So if you're wise, you have this rainy day fund. Well, how about establishing a rainy day fund for the soul? A grace contingency fund. Where you are skating around the community, and out of the blue you get hip-checked with an offense, and your first response is, I knew that was going to happen, because the Bible said it was going to happen. So I am just going to withdraw from my grace contingency fund and just pour out grace. You know that 
the offense is going to happen. And if you plan on grace, you can be ready for life. The less you expect to be offended, the more likely you will be. But when you know that an offense is uh, are going to happen, it becomes no big deal. I have a slogan I've adopted. I was visiting this little old lady, and somebody had said something um, to her. and She looks at me, Pastor, people say the stupidest things. And she's right. <laughs> people say the stupidest things. That's a, uh, expected. We all stumble. We're all going to offend. I'm, I know I have been known to say a stupid thing once or twice, or 100 or 300 times. Um, it's part of the human condition. We try not, right? Or if you have a good heart, you, you try not, but people are going to offend. Accept it. Be gracious. Move on. Now, if you use this sermon as a license to do stupid things and go around and offend people, you're a fool, okay? Just, uh, just uh, that, that, that's not cool, right? But just understand that it's going to happen. People in the community have a tendency to do one of two things. Um... If somebody says something that's offensive, they tend to either back away from the person or confront the person. We tend to either get in their face or we just, I'm not going to deal with them. Neither response may be the appropriate response. Here's what Psalm 1911 says. Those with good sense... I take that to be you, okay? I'm just going to assume that's you, right? Those with good sense are slow to anger. It is their glory to overlook an offense. What do they do? They don't back off. They're not in a person's face. They overlook an offense. It's to your glory to overlook an offense. It's to your glory to write things off to your grace contingency fund. It's to your glory to, instead of taking offense, to give grace. It's to your glory just to say, people say the stupidest things. Maybe they didn't have their coffee this morning, and move on. Now, there are times to confront when the behavior is persistent and there are injustices being done. But the first response to an offense is to overlook it. I was looking through the life of Jesus, and there were a number of times when he offended people. Uh, he was a person who, who never said stupid things, and yet he offended people, which tells you something about people he was speaking to. It may tell you something about you, too. You can be offended without the other person doing anything wrong. That's completely possible. He offended people... Uh, yet, he wasn't often offended over what was said about him. There were two times when he was actually offended. 
Um, the time he cleared out the temple, he was obviously offended that what was happening in the temple. They had made a house of prayer into a den of thieves. He got offended about that. Um, there was another time when Peter told him that he didn't have to die. And Jesus replied to him, Get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block. Or King James Version, you are an offense to me. I'll come back to that situation in a moment. But Jesus did not take offense about what was said about him. And remember what was said about him? Um, people called him a drunkard. He called him a friend of sinners, which in that day was just anathema. They called him a, a glutton. That's pretty offensive language, don't you think? And yet, he didn't take offense. You have the disciples being offended, the families being offended, the Pharisees, well, they were often offended, but Jesus wasn't offended. That's why we talk about Jesus as being full of grace. He had a grace contingency fund. He was just full of it, full of grace. Now, in the New Testament, uh, the word that is translated offense or stumbling block is the word uh, scandalon. So remember when Jesus was offended by Peter and Peter said, uh, when he said you didn't have to die, here's uh, in Matthew 6, 23, here's what it says. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. You are a scandalon to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You are a stumbling block, or authorized version, you are an offense to me. Have you ever seen somebody trying to trap a squirrel? Here's the setup, right? You have a box with this stick propping open the box. The idea is if the, the squirrel comes and takes the bait, you, you, you pull the stick out and the box drops in, on top of the squirrel. Well, that's the theory. The stick that holds the, the, the box up, that's a scandalon. That's what the word is for, it's a trap. What Peter, or Jesus is saying is, Peter, you are a trap for me. You are a baited trigger. You want to box me in and keep me from doing the will of the Father? Get behind me. In the New Testament, that's what a scandal on is. It's a trap. That is what taking an offense is. It's a trap. You are going to be offended. That's a given. If you choose your grace contingency fund and to spend grace on the person, you walk away from the trap. If you take the bait and hold on to the offense, well, you are trapped. If you own it and say, I'm offended, the trap falls, and you're now a prisoner. Let me describe to you what happens when a Christian takes up an offense. They normally harden their heart to the person who has offended them, but it normally doesn't stop there. Here's what uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19 says. 
A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like bars of a castle. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. And we wall ourselves in, and we only let people pass when we're really sure they're not going to hurt us. And inside our walls, we, we brood, and we contemplate what was done to us, and we harbor offenses. And those offenses, whether real or perceived, start to produce an unholy fruit. Anger, outrage, jealousy, resentment, strife, bitterness, hatred, envy. And out of these things comes insults and attacks and wounding and divisions and separation and broken relationships and betrayal. And it's a trap. But you know what? This, this trap is often camouflaged by our pride. We will be able to rationalize why taking an offense is justified. And the religious spirits and the worldly wisdom will come to bear and pat you on the back and say, you should resent what was said about you. After all, we live in a world that our feelings are, are said to be God. What's inside of us, that's, that's what really matters. So if you're feeling... Offended, that's your authentic self. Live that out, is what the world would say. And all the while you sit in this gilded trap, restrained, you don't bear good fruit, you will know neither joy nor peace, but you have your offense, and you nurse it, and you nurse it. If you have a church full of these kind of people, I've seen these kind of churches before, people who have been wounded, they wound others, they wound others, and there's traps being sprung all over the place, and no community happens because everyone is trapped inside their own fortress. And we're civil, and we smile, and we hold everybody at arm's length and say, ah, oh, good morning. And that's about as deep as it goes. So how do you live against the kind of trap? Let's take you back to Ephesians chapter 4. Paul has just finished talking about this magnificent gospel that we have in Jesus Christ. And then this is what he says in, in verse 4, verse 1. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. In light of the gospel you've received, live a life worthy of the calling. What does that look like? Well, verse 2 and 3. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The way you live a life that doesn't take the bait, the scandal on, is to be completely humble. 
and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another. I, I tend not to be easily offended. Um, but there have been some times in my life where I have taken the bait. And when I've done that and come to my senses, I examine, well, what went on there? And that's what spiritually mature people do, by the way, is they look and they say, what happened there? Um, and almost every time it's happened, I found that most of the offense has been rooted in my pride. My pride was hurt. Is it any wonder that Paul says, be completely humble? See, my reaction to another person, what another person did, says more about who I am than it says about the action of that person. My reaction to what another person did says more about who I am than it says about the action of another person. Your reaction to another person says more about who you are and than it does about the other person. My, let me unpack verse 2. Be completely humble. The idea of humility in, in Scripture is to see yourself as you really are in light of Jesus' sacrifice for you. Um, if you are humble, you are neither self-deprecating nor are you puffed up. You see yourself as somebody who has been saved by grace. You know you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, but that indeed you have been forgiven and that you are valued. When people say something that could, you could take an offense to, you know that you don't have to because, well, you know your own value and you know how much you've been forgiven. You don't feel the need for self-protection. Your pride doesn't get hooked in because you walk in humility. And when you function out of humility, then you can be gentle with others. You know that our first response when we're tempted to take an offense is to be offensive ourselves. But Paul says, be gentle. You know you don't have to defend yourself or lash out at others. You know who you are in Christ. You don't have to take the bait of taking the offense. You can, you can be gentle with others who have not been gentle with you. Wise thing to do, Proverbs says, a soft answer turns away wrath. You've been given grace, so you can give grace. Grace, of course, is undeserved favor. You may not feel like the person who has been offensive deserves grace. That's not the point. You're going to give them your favor anyways. And then the verse goes on to say, be patient. See, when people say or do something offensive, especially in a Christian community, it in, often indicates a discipleship issue. 
And often discipleship issues need to be grown into. And it may indicate a discipleship issue in their life, or it may indicate a discipleship issue in your own life. So be patient both with others and with yourself. See, growing into the full measure of Jesus takes time. Discipleship takes time. The text goes on to say, bearing with one another. If dealing with each other was all sunshine and roses, Paul would not have to put that in, right? Why does he say bear with each other? Because sometimes we have to bear with each other. It goes against who we are because, well, you know that we come from different family structures, different cultures, some of us, different ways of thinking. And what was acceptable in one family may be totally offensive in another culture. Notice Paul just doesn't end there and say, well, just bear with one another. No, he says, bear with one another in love. I need to do more than tolerate people. I need to love people. Which is sometimes difficult when you're white-knuckling bearing, bearing with somebody, right? But I remember God has put so much into me. I got, uh, if God treated me the way I want to treat an offender, I'd be in trouble. I suspect that's true for you. But God doesn't hold us at arm's length. He doesn't become indifferent to us. Instead, he says, yeah, I know who you are. Come. And he embraces us. People, Paul then goes on to say, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. Make every effort. It requires effort sometimes. But when we fail to make the effort, we live in our gilded cages, and it becomes brutal. For those of you who have been caught in a trap, you've taken up an offense, there's only one way to get out of that bondage. Here's what it is. It's forgiveness. Forgiveness is not avoiding or ignoring the hurt that's been done to us. It's not pretending that it's never happened or finding a way to excuse it. Forgiveness, for it to be genuine, it's the person who is forgiving, looks at what that offense did, counts the cost, and chooses to forgive anyways. They give grace. I could probably speak on forgiveness for another sermon, but I don't have time to do that. So I'm just going to walk you through nine steps to forgiveness. Maybe that as I'm talking, God might bring somebody to mind. First step, confess the sin of unforgiveness. If you've taken up an offense, you are holding on to unforgiveness. Jesus has a lot to say about that. So Lord, I am sorry that I'm holding unforgiveness. Forgive me for that. Step two, stop rehearsing the sin and punishing the offender. 
You know when somebody offends you, it goes over in your mind and over in your mind and over in your mind and over in your mind. Stop! Stop, right? Instead of that, say, I'm not going to dwell on that anymore. I'm not going to punish the offender anymore either. Step three, listen to what God wants to say about the offender. Lord, is there anything you want to tell me about that person? Just pause. God might put some thoughts in your mind about that person. Step four, ask if there's anything that you contributed to the problem. Oh, I don't like that step. Because in our natural, we want to blame, right? But, uh, no. Step five, listen to how God wants to comfort, heal, and love you. Lord, how would you like to speak peace into me at this moment? And then listen to how God wants to turn evil into something good. God often says, yeah, you know, I've, I've shown this up so that, so that you, to prepare you for something else that, that's, that's coming. Step seven, pray for the offender. Always a good thing. Bless or do good to the offender. So bless them. Maybe even give them a gift. Do something nice. Something good. Step nine, ask the Father to heal your own heart and to fill you with love for the offender. Lord Jesus, I need your healing. And so, Lord, would you heal my heart from the hurt that I feel? Discipleship is not just knowing the right things, it's doing the right things. So, as I'm speaking with you today, some of you know that you've been caught in the track of taking up an offense. So I want to help you to walk through these steps of forgiveness to get you out of that trap. So I'm just going to guide you in some prayer. So we're going to take a few moments and just walk through this in the silence of your own heart and see if God brings something to your heart and, and, and your mind. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, is there anyone I need to forgive? If there is, would you bring that person to mind right now? So Lord, forgive me for harboring unforgiveness. Just take that to the Lord right now. Now, Lord, I, I choose to stop rehearsing what went wrong and what was done to me in my own heart and mind. Make that choice. Lord, is there anything you want to say to me about the person who offended me? What does God bring to mind? Lord, is there any way that I contributed to the problem?
Lord, I know that you want to comfort and heal me. Is there anything that you want to say to that effect? How do you want to comfort me, Lord? What would you say to me? Lord, is there any way that you can turn this to good? You say you can, so how, how would you do that? Now just take some time and pray for the offender and pray blessing on the offender. Lord, show me ways that I can bless the offender. And now, Lord, I pray for each person here that you would show them your healing power, bring peace into their heart as they walk through steps of forgiveness. Lord, I ask that you would release them from their prisons, that you would heal their hurt, not that they would forget what happened, but they would, um, the memory would no longer contain pain. And Lord, may they sense your love and grace surrounding them. I pray for each person here, Lord, that we would have a very, very full account of for our grace contingency fund. So that we are quick to give grace. Thank you, Lord, for your people who listen to you. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week on Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast. Make sure to visit our website at asburyfmperth.com where you can subscribe and never miss a show. If you'd like this broadcast, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Asbury Free Methodist Church. Until next week, take care and God bless.